it's time for rolling dice and taking names. Sleigh bells are ringing. Are you listening? Because if you need some ideas for Christmas, then pay attention to this episode's game reviews, including Monolith, Pandemic Star Wars Clone Wars, Brazil, and Fire and Stone. Plus, the guys bring us a Taste Buds featuring this year's Christmas-inspired Mountain Dew. Hello and welcome to episode number 274, Against All Odds. This is Tony. This is Marty. What movie was that from? This is by Phil Collins. Yes, it was. And it was, was it a rock? No, it was a romantic. What, wasn't movie, it a right? jewel, the Nile jewel, jewel of the Nile? No, it was. Was it? No, 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 no. Against all odds, take a look so at it. So you now. don't have you don't have this like ready to go. When you, you when you come up the titles of these shows, you don't have little facts and tidbits. I don't, no, I don't care. I try to make the title match what we're doing. That's my goal in life. It's not to say, okay, what are the tidbits? It's, well, Phil Collins, he needs to retire, poor guy. I will say that. Oh <laughs> the movie was Against, against All, all Odds. odds. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a uh, it was a romantic movie. I I never saw. Yeah, a, a, a romantic neo noir thriller uh, starring Jeff Bridges, James Woods, and Jane Greer. Never saw it. This was not something I would have watched in 1984. Mm-hmm. This was definitely not. I was not the audience for this movie. No, and I, I mean I can't even remember. I can only remember the song. Obviously, we can't remember the movie. We, because I, I was sitting there thinking, I thought it was in a more popular "Romancing the Stone" or something like that. So obviously, we did not know what it was. Phil Collins needs to retire. One of my favorite bands, Genesis. We've done a lot of their songs for our show. Well, didn't they do a farewell tour? Or they were working on. I know yeah. now. I know in the last clip I saw them live, he basically just sits on a stool in a chair, the stay on front of the stage and sings because he just. I mean, he's up there in age now. He is. So are we. So, but he's still on stage, still making some money and, you know, still, you know, and ever, and whenever I see the Tarzan movie, I always, you know, I always think of his soundtrack to that. That's, mm-hmm. that's Phil Collins. Okay. Uh, every morning when I was in middle school, it seems like the radio station was always playing uh, against all, what is it, in the air tonight? That was always come on at a certain time. Not in middle school, was it? Uh, it wasn't in high school as he goes and checks the Google world. I just know that when my alarm would go off, it'd go off to the radio and it was like always in the air tonight. And I thought it was like in the early eighties, 81, 82. Oh, 81. No, you're right. That would have been like, uh, ninth grade. Very. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause for us, middle school or junior high is what it was called. Sixth, seventh and eighth. Yeah. Well, see mine was seven, eight, nine. Ah, so see, my six, seven, eight. So that's where the disconnect is. Because it, it was middle school for you and high school for me. Yes. Oh, so you didn't have the alarm that's like, ee, 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 ee. you had the nice fancy radio alarm. Yeah, I think I still have it too. It was the dial and it had played the radio. We all have it. It's a Timex one, maybe a digital. I Even when I was in college, I had the annoying alarm that had the horrible noise that sometimes wouldn't wake me up and... Uh, my roommate would get upset at me because I would, the alarm was going off and I was still just lying there asleep. My daughter had to buy one because she would never get up that it would brighten up the sun. It would be this uh, oh, blinding yeah. sunshine. I'm like, just get up. This isn't hard. But but she also would do, um, 
the start of the Lion King for her alarm, and I'd be laying there, and she'd be like gone or something, and suddenly her alarm would go off, and I have to go down the hall, turn it off, you know, whatever it is. I can't do it. So, you know which song I'm talking about from Lion King at the beginning? I do, I do. And who did that soundtrack? Uh, Phil Collins. Yeah. <laughs> see, it all ties together. Ta-da! Yes. I see you're wearing our alma mater sweatshirt. How about that football game yesterday? So we're recording this on uh, November 13th, and our NC State Wolfpack mm-hmm. was going for basically the record for most home wins mm-hmm. in a row against a really bad team, Boston College, and ended up losing in the last few seconds thanks to a pass interference penalty. Well, I would constitute it to not showing up after halftime. They stayed out in the field at tailgate time because they did nothing in periods three and four. Root calls, baby, go all the way back. They came out. It was punt, field goal, interception, fumble, punt, field goal. I mean, no field goal. I'm just like, what are you guys doing? Uh, Hold on. It wasn't Phil Collins. It was not Phil Collins, and I was sitting there thinking, this is going to be $5. It was Elton John. Elton John. Circle circle of life was Elton John. Ha, people were typing. I got him. I got him. I got him. Five dollars, <laughs> baby. Boom. Well, sorry. Well, speaking of which, Miniature Market recently did the two ninety nine shipping. I hope people were able to jump on that if they had. Oh wait a minute! I didn't even know about this. Two ninety nine. Two ninety nine shipping for one day only. If you checked your emails, you would have gotten that. And now oh. they're doing the special markdown. So I did order a game because it was specially marked down. I uh, can't wait to get it and play it with What'd my, you get? Uh, something we've never played, or ne- I've Ooh. never played, and that is... Okay. The, it's re- recently got a very successful Kickstarter going on, but I don't even have the base game, and that is Spirit Island. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought you had that. No, I... I guess not. No, I do not. Obviously not. <laughs> yeah, didn't happen. And that's... I've been trying to trade for it on the BGG, and people just are ignoring my trades, and that's okay. I'm fine with that. So we're just going to move on. I said, he's okay, and he's fine with that. Is that something I say? Over 10, over 10 years, you've said that a lot. It's just because I'm just okay. I'm fine with it. It's my mentality. <laughs> it's my credo. It's my mantra. It's funny how people get – there's a sports station I listen to uh, each morning, and the guy on there constantly says, there's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. He says it over, and it just drives me insane. No doubt about it. It's okay. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Hey, if you're not uh, subscribed to our YouTube channel, you might want to go subscribe because Tony and I started doing some uh, video casts that we're trying to do monthly. And just recently, I released a video, kind of a vlog. What are you shaking here for? Keep going. Of, of, our, of our game night uh, where I just captured what we do because we talk about it all the time. Every week, we experience of what we go through of setting up the game and sitting there all night at a table and what we eat and everything. So go check out that video. Uh, we've had a lot of good interaction and comments with it. You can kind of see what goes on behind the scenes for our game night. If you want to, or don't. It's your call. I mean, you get to see me in all my glory sitting there walking in while somebody's ridiculing me because I have to take a phone call. You know, I could have. That's cool. I, I'm fine with that. Are you? Because you were really oh, that's good. good. That's good. I'm, I'm fine good with, with that. that. Yeah. I'm good with I'm that. I'm good with that. That's fine I'm with fine that. with it. I'm good. I mean, you know, I could have been sitting in the office taking that phone call. Instead of in my no, car. I appreciate it. I okay. appreciate it because you, because when you got there, we were able to play a two-player game that we're going to be talking about later on, Fire and Stone, mm-hmm. because you got there at the early enough force. I, I've got nothing for the next part. I'm thirsty. 
I know we got a taste buds coming up. I'm just counting the time because I just finished lunch. Oh, okay. Well, let me hurry up, burn through a few things. So uh, I finished up uh, the not latest Arkham Horror. The, I've, the last Arkham Horror uh, campaign that I've been playing, it has taken us several months to finish. We were playing um, Dream Eaters. Uh, which was, it's, it's not, it's one of the older ones where you slowly get through these. Cause I play with, uh, an ex coworker of mine. We only get together like once a month or something like that. Uh, we finally finished it and it, it, it was very frustrating to me because we've been playing a lot of Arkham Har, and we got to the point where we're pretty good at building decks and tuning our decks and synergizing with each other. And we were just kind of walking through each of the scenarios of the campaign we get to the eighth one and typically in the past we we blow it in the final one some bad stuff goes down so i went into this going finally we're going to have a good finale a good resolution we're not just going to lose nope we ended up just losing and i was extremely frustrated because i thought i was talking to the guys playing with it's like we had good decks i don't understand it's just like they steamrolled us we didn't even get to the final part of the story we lost before we even got to the big bad, and I was just extremely upset. And I asked, I said, do you want to roll this up and play it again? He went, nope, I am done with wow. this. Wow. So, oh, man. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was very frustrating. I, I know that. I, and he just shrugged it off. You know, that's Arkham Horror. No, I, I totally get it. That's Arkham Horror. But we had done so well to get to that final campaign and to lose that way. It wouldn't have been okay if we'd have got to the final boss and went down. But we didn't even get to the final boss before things went haywire on us. And it was very frustrating. So uh, not not good. Not good at all. However, uh, we're going to roll up again because uh, right bef- uh, this is dropping right before Thanksgiving. And uh, Vanessa's brother Bob's coming in town. And we're going to try to blow through the latest expansion for Arkham Horror Scarlet Keys. So we're actually going to try to f- do the complete campaign over three or four days and see if we can knock that out. So you say Arkham Hara, you, is it the card game? I, I'm confused. Card game. I did not specify okay. yet. It is the LCG card game. Because I know Bob's all into the various miniature games and the Arkham Eldritch Horror stuff and things like that. So I was wondering if you were, if there's a campaign out there. I mean, I know you've got Scarlet Keys. I was, I hadn't seen it because, you know, I'm not a big fan of it. Now, if you ever want to do a campaign and we start playing the Lord of the Rings Saga expansion, I got that too. I know you do. We just got so much. We got we got a net runner. <laughs> you want to do, we want to do terminal directive. We want you then we can maybe go over to Lord of the Rings, see how that goes. So we got to figure out the lunch. We've got holidays coming up. This is a 2023 project. But we have played some games, actual games. You've played Lord, we played a lot. Well, you have played a ton of games. I'm one of these things I want to get you to move these to other uh shows so that we don't have to play as many and we can just have a backlog move these to other shows yeah like say okay we're gonna move these games to th- three months down the line this well, way then we'll, we'll totally forget what way they were and then we'll have other stuff that we've played we need to talk about okay it's not a perfect plan but it's no. a plan <laughs> hey you did bring one from west kids uh that was kind of interesting uh atlantic robot league mm-hmm, by camden uh, i think it's cluter c-l-u-t-t-e-r that's right yeah, it was kind of interesting where you uh, basically randomly put out these tiles. Uh, it's I guess it's like Robot Wars. The, mechs, uh, these, the, the big mechs that are fighting in a, over city blocks. 
Yeah. That's the, th- and, that's the theme. That's the theme. So you've got this grid of these, uh, it's like four different teams, right? Of, of uh, mechs. And they're basically represented by different colors. And you put them on a grid. And then there's one space that doesn't have a mech. And then every turn, somebody is going to move, slide a mech uh, into some one of the open spaces. And the mech will tell you which of the other colors of mechs that it can attack. And then it will actually remove that other mech from the board. And over the course of the game, you're making like these sort of bets, right? You're betting uh, which team will win, uh, which team will be knocked out first, like who has the most kills sort of thing. So you're trying to manipulate the board to try to match your bets so you can get the most money and win the game over several rounds. Right. And to clear up no $5 opportunities, it is five teams of three mechs. It's five. Oh, they're five colors. Okay. Five colors. Yep. Five teams of three mechs. And the betting is all done beforehand where you're right. Kills, things like that. But you're also trying to bet on who will survive. You get five options. So you're trying to manipulate that. Like which of the individual mechs Mechs will survive. Yeah. Like, Like El Terminator or something. I forget what the name of it was. And you can also have the opportunity to buy schemes that will give you the ability to adjust your mech, say maybe slide multiple spots or jump over a mech to help kill things. So it's a guessing game at the beginning, but you can adjust your bets during the game mm-hmm. before a team is eliminated. So, but that costs you money. And after the, you get down to, I forget how many, I think there's five robots still standing then you will then say, okay, here are the winners. And if the same people scored like, oh, Marty and I both picked the purple mechs to be the ones that had the most kills, we split the prize money. Mm -hmm. It's victory points, all right? But you do get money so that you can buy the scheme cards. And that's where the scheme cards help change it up a little bit. It's a sliding puzzle. It really, that's what I viewed it as. It's one of those puzzles where you're trying to put the picture together that you're sliding the little blocks around. Mm-hmm. So based on when you see that puzzle set up before you and, and Bert got, I don't know how Bert was doing this. He was able to figure it out. You're saying, okay, based on the sliding nature of this puzzle, how is this going to play out? So we know who's going to win all this, but uh very fast game. I mean, we're talking three rounds. We were done in 20 minutes. Yeah. Real quick. And it's real easy to set up. You just, uh, randomly deal the tiles out to the board Mm -hmm. and there's like like i said there's always one space left and then you just start playing i guess probably the longest time is at the very beginning of the round when everybody's trying to place their bets Mm -hmm. on who they think will you know you know win etc um then after that it moves rather quick i guess it could potentially slow down if you're looking at the bets and you're trying to decide which mech is best to move to try to make sure that you win a certain bet or something yeah, I mean, and I'm be like, okay, I need to slide this one up to block you because I need them to survive because I don't want you to move this one, so I need to start blocking somehow. So, yes, you yeah. could get an AP from that standpoint. But that is Atlantic Robot League from WizKids. We also played another uh, game that night, too, that you just featured on that video. It came from 25th Century Games. It's called uh, Oh My Brain, and it's designed by Bruno Catala. Again, Tony, a very, very simple game. You have a hand of cards, and what you're going to do is there's the card in the middle of the table. You have to play a card higher than the card on the table. Super straightforward. You can actually combine multiple of the same number to make sure you get over that number. So, for example, if the number on the table is eight 
and I don't have anything higher than that, but I got two fives, I can play two fives. But what's interesting is, is I put one five on the pile, but then I give put one, pi, uh, one card into the cemetery of another player. A cemetery is basically this, a, a card holder that everybody has that they store cards in. And at the end of their turn after they play cards, if they have fewer than three cards, they draw cards from their cemetery to put back into their hand. And that's where those cards come from. The whole goal of the game is to get rid of all your cards. What's interesting is, is what happens if there's a card out there and you got nothing that you can play higher that's, that's one on the table? Well, that's where the brains come in. You have a set number of brains and you must turn in one of the brains. Then at that point, you're going to draw two cards from the deck. One card goes in your hand. One card goes in the cemetery. The game will end if either somebody runs out of brains and then the person with the most brains wins. Or if somebody runs out of all their cards, then the person with the most brains wins. Very straightforward. What did you think about that one? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this game. Uh, From the standpoint of some of the card actions, because you did have the ability, if you played a certain card that had a dice, you would roll a dice and it would either allow you to take someone's brains or get a brain from a supply or draw a card. So I like that randomness that comes in. Not a lot of people like that when they're playing cards, but I thought, you know what? This gives you the ability of uh, having something else to do to help you out. Like the, and the eights, if you played an eight, at that point you had to play a card lower than the eight. The 11 card allows you to take an extra turn. So yeah, some of the cards just gave you special abilities, like you said. The zero beat everything. It was the wild. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very, it wasn't a hard, challenging game. When I think about uh, the other card games we've played now, you know, is it, see, I keep saying Scout. Is it Scout that you? Scout. It is Scout. Yeah. Yeah. So Scout is pretty much, okay, being able to play cards out of your hand as well and having certain combos that are set up so that you can pull from that. Here, it was kind of like, how do I set up my cemetery so that I know that when I eventually get to it, I will be pulling combos into my hand, which will allow me to play multiple cards just like in Scout. So I, I considered the two very similar from that standpoint of what you're trying to do. You're trying to beat the cards on the table. And this game is, again, a great family game or end of the night game because it plays up to five players in 10 to 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. There's zero AP, pretty much. You look at your hand, can I beat it or not sort of deal. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, uh, like once I remember I got like three fives in my hand and I was able to put one five on the, the discard pile and then I take the other two and split them. I give them to the other opponents. And giving y'all more cards is bad. Taking mm-hmm. brains from y'all is bad. Man. So uh, that's where that rolling of the dice uh, comes in. And if you ever have to redraw, you have to give up a brain, which is bad. So again, another good uh, palate cleanser at the end of the night, much mm-hmm. like Splitter. Uh, this is Oh My Brain from 25th Century Games. Uh, let me say There's, one more thing about this. Uh, sure. And I enjoyed the artwork on the cards. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I thought that it was very comic-y, but it, was, it wasn't, you know, outrageous or anything like that. It was very fitting. I, it was, I think the, the only thing is the cards had to be put in a pile a certain way for somebody. They didn't like that. I don't know why they were being all fussy about that at the table. Not lying. You talking about up. me? I know you're talking about me. Am well, I, I don't understand. You? I don't understand when, when we play card games, y'all can't, when you discard a card, orient it correctly with the rest of the cards on the discard pile, and you have to turn it like 
Well, that's 180 degrees for for what? Because 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 then when you shuffle up the cards and deal them out again, everybody has to spend 30 seconds rotating their cards to get them the way they need to be in their hand. And if you discard them in the right order, then you ain't got to do that. Unless somebody who's going to shuffle them takes the pile, splits them, and flips one over. That's what I'm going to start doing just for the fun I of it. I swear <laughs> if you start doing that on purpose, I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to flip them over. Well, when you split them apart, you split them apart, and then, yeah, it's it's going to line up, right? But then flip them over. and, and I know I know what you mean. I know. And when, you, when you riffle shuffle and you take one and rotate half the deck and then mm -hmm. riffle, I know what you're talking about. But that is one thing. These cards do not have the numbers on the bottom. Right. So, That's what I'm saying. So, so they're yeah, only, yeah. yes. If they were your typical, you know, 52 deck style cards where there was numbers on both corners, top and bottom, it's no big deal. But it's yeah, not that, the what? That way. That, that was part of the game. That's what <sighs> Mark and I were doing. We were saying, okay, see if he notices. Oh, I noticed. I'm sure you did notice. Hey, I noticed uh, I noticed uh, that uh, you can't get your uh, new Ewan chair yet. So you're nope. going to also get an upgraded uh, cloth one because uh, you being a taller, bigger fellow may actually like the, this cloth chair because it supports taller people and heavier people. Not that you're heavy. But what kind of shade is this? <laughs> I have you know I'm almost in fighting weight. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm kidding. I know you. you are. No, so the, yeah, so they have this new cloth chair. Uh, that they come out with uh, that's very heavy duty. It's like the casters are really nice and everything. The uh, It's more like a business chair where the, the seat's a tad wider and uh, it, it does support uh, a higher uh, weight class. Keep keep digging it, big boy. I, I, think, <laughs> I think it feels like it actually gets higher off the ground because if I raise it all the way to the top, my feet can't touch the floor. So it really does support mm -hmm. tall people. So for, your, for height uh, challenged people, your Not height challenge. Dangle. That would be short people. Yeah, your little feet dangle. <laughs> That's that. right. Uh, but anyway, uh, so you're supposed to have one coming to you. However, uh, with this being released uh, Thanksgiving week, you need to go check out those Black Friday sales. But you know what? Ignore those Black Friday sales because if you use our code RDTN, you get 30% off, y'all. 30% off because I've seen some of their Black Friday sales. It's only 25%. Now, I'm not very good at math, but I would think that 30% off is better than 25% off. You're an engineer. You're not good at math. <laughs> That's true. Well, I didn't want to be pretentious. I know. I, okay, let's put it this way. I used to be good at math, but you come to find out in engineering that all that math you learned, you never really use. Mm, no, you don't, especially when you go into math. But, but, oh, but don't. it's not only about the chairs. Um, I've got my home office set up a lot better now. I ordered a two monitor stand. Yes. And I almost had to cut a hole in the back of the desk so that the bracket could slide in the back to hold it. Uh -huh. But they have the Ewin have the various desks that you don't mm -hmm. have. You basically have two legs that are holding it up. You don't have all these file drawers or anything like that. So they are the gaming desk. And I mean, they've got multiple ones like that. So there are a couple are sold out right now. So be sure to check it out. But they have. Is, uh, is the RGB one sold out? Because that's the one I have and I really like it. The RGB is not sold out, but they do have a pneumatic sit stand that is sold out. And mm. then another height adjustable. I love my sit stand at work. I mean, for some of these, the, um, the gaming desk and then you have the 2.0 edition RGB these desks are really nice from the standpoint. It's an open concept. I mean, you don't need all this. 
it, we're in an electronic world now. All your records should be digitized. You don't need filing cabinets. You don't need places to store stuff. I was honestly concerned because uh, I got one of the RGB desks about not having drawers, and I actually like the minimalistic uh, part of mm-hmm. it. Like you said, it's open, it's airy, it has a drink holder off to the side. It's like a it's like a carbon type top. You don't even need a mouse pad. Your mouse will work on the top. Um, it's a thin lip, so you can easily mount things to it. Exactly. Uh, like you said, so it's it's a solid desk. It's it's a well bit desk. And again, guess what? With our code RDTN, you get thirty percent off. So again, great gifts for kids or for yourself. Gaming chairs, desk. Uh, go check out ewinracing.com. I'm parched. Is it time? No, because oh yeah, no. Think about look the the toy Hall of Fame winners were announced, dude. Yes, they were. We did a whole series with Chaz on the strong toy hall of fame had our selections yeah so before you announce the winners mm-hmm. just let me remind people what our selections were for what we thought was going to win oh wow you even got it on the back of the envelope that's kind of cool uh-huh. uh you said nerf Catan, light bright chaz said Catan, masters of the universe top i said Catan, masters of the universe bingo so all of us said Catan, and then we had some doubles on the other so sir what was the first winner? The first winner was the pretentious top. Which I was kind of surprised at, but Chaz did pick it. Uh, he gave his reasons for picking. It. It's been around for a very long time. A lot of people have played with it over the years. So top is one of them. What was the next one? Light Bright. You got that one. I'm I'm happy. I'm happy Light Bright won. I was surprised. I, I called it a dark horse in our episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you uh, did that. So I'm, I'm glad it won. And you, sir, who said you never had a light bright, correct? Never had a light Well, I did at a uh, yard sale, but it didn't have any of the patterns. And uh, it was not a, I got rid of that quick. It was a little late in my life for a light bright. And what was the last one? He-Man. Yep. Masters of the Universe. That, uh, Chaz and I both said that one. And I'm not surprised at that. I just thought uh, there's been a resurgence of Masters of the Universe. So, so that was top Masters of the Universe and light bright. So you, sir, got one. I got one. Chaz got two. So he was the winner for this year's uh, guesses of the, the toy induction into the Hall of Fame. And what did he win? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Didn't win a darn <laughs> thing. He, he has bragging rights. So next year when these come out, if he wants to do this again, by all means, he can come in and brag all he wants, how he was smarter than us. Not a hard feat. No, it's 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 not. It's not. All right. That was always fun. All right. So now you say you're thirsty, eh? I'm very thirsty. I want to get to this Mountain Dew fruit quake. All right. Let's hit the music. So last year, uh, we did not like the Christmas flavor of Mountain Dew at all. That gingerbread stuff was nasty. I like gingerbread, but mm, not that. Not that. That was not good. This is called Fruit Quake. Now, do you eat fruit cake for Christmas? No. Me either. So when I saw this, I went, eh, I don't like fruit cake. 
there's there's something in them that I'm not a big fan of. Some f- some fruit, obviously, but I don't. There's one fruit that I'm not. It's not cantaloupe, which I cannot. I don't stand. like the consistency of it. Well, I like banana bread. Yeah, but I don't. This is thicker. This is like a brick. Banana bread's bread. Is it in a fruit cake a bread? It's not a cake. Or is it a cake? Well, it's very dense. I think to me, I think it's well. The ones I've had, fruit cake is denser than uh, banana bread. It reminds me of the stuff that you would see maybe at uh, at a Stuckey's or a Bucky's or where you'd get those big old fruit cake logs that have sat there for three years and they're still good. I mean, they put a Twinkie to to shame as far as pre- preserving itself. My high school job uh, was working at the now defunct Ecker Drugs. Mm-hmm. And so every year that we had all this Christmas stuff come in, there was always these boxes of Thin Mints and the fruit cakes, And I was stunned at the number of people that bought the fruit cakes, And the, the, those cases of fruit cakes were stupid heavy to move around. Because they're bricks, I tell you, they're bricks. Yeah, fruitcake is a cake made with one or more types of dried fruit. So fine, raisins, cherries, and how is, I got to look up what a currant is. A C-U-R-R-A-N-T-S. I think that's what I don't like. A currant? Currant, yeah. What's the difference between a currant and a raisins? Because I like I, raisins. I, I have like cherries. no clue. They're dried, dark red, seedless grapes. And, um, okay. I know uh, that currants are used a lot in the British baking shows. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both, um, they're different types of grapes. Okay. I, oh, I don't know. Fruitcake. Anyway, let's get to the drink. Are we ready? All right, here we go. Uh, Mountain Dew Fruit Quake. 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 Here we go. All right, getting ever. Oh, that smells like Christmas. Ooh. Smells like Hawaiian punch to me. Now, did you already have some? Nope, I have not. And my family has been anxious for me to try it because they like it. It's 160 calories. You're only going to take two sips. Correct. Okay. Ready? Yep, let's do this. It's like Hawaiian punch to me when it's I a love fruit Hawaiian punch. punch. I love fruit punch. Yeah, I do too. I it's love fruit, fruit punch. punch. Yep. It's fruit punch. Fruit punch, much, much better than gingerbread. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So that is fruit quake. Mm. Ooh. Mountain Dew. Oh, did you like a uh, Hawaiian punch, fruit punch? Uh, yes, I think I did. It's been forever since I've had it. I just, so whenever I think of fruit punch, I always think of going to Southern weddings and you'd always have yeah. a big bowl of fruit punch. <laughs> and somebody spikes it. No, no one ever spiked it because that had been okay. wrong because you were at the um, reception hall in the basement of the local church. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Along with your pimento cheese sandwich and egg salad sandwiches. Yeah, the fruit punch with a big old lump of uh, fruit punch ice. Yes. A big chunk of ice that would melt that was made of fruit punch itself. But man, it was so good. It, it was, was good. So, <laughs> it was so sweet. Oh, it was so good. I mean, jacked up all night long as a kid drinking that oh. stuff. Good stuff. All right. Mountain Dew Fruit Quake. Uh, that's a winner for us. Uh, so go out and try it. It's probably in your stores. Uh, hopefully right now. Last year, we got to play the World of Warcraft Wrath of the Lich King, which is based on the pandemic system. Uh, Tony, we love this game. We, we used to love playing World of Warcraft. We felt that this game really caught the theme of World of Warcraft, each of us were heroes. We we're moving around a board uh, to complete quest. You complete three quests. You head over to the Ice Crown Citadel and try to take out the Lich King. 
So this year, when Z-Man Games and designer Alexander Ortloff released Star Wars The Clone Wars, that's also based on the pandemic system, we were interested in trying it out to see, is it just the War of Warcraft, Wrath of the Lich King, with just a new theme? And I'm happy to say, Tony, it's not. It's a totally different style of game when it comes especially to card play. So for those of us who are used to playing the pandemics, you know, you've got all the pandemics are out there and they're trying to rebrand them into these various popular IPs. Why would you want to go out and buy another pandemic series, right? And I, I, and I personally think it is something to do with, well, what IP do you enjoy? You and I really enjoyed the World of Warcraft. We enjoyed playing the video game, the RTS, things like that, the uh, MMORPG. So that's what got us there. I'm not a big Star Wars fan. Right. right? I don't know. Don't, don't, no hate mail. It's not that I don't like it. It's just I'm, I'm not this big Gaga fan over it. So I, it's not one that I would be looking for. So when I get these games, I always think, how are they different than the original Pandemic? And I think, I hate to say this, I think these games have made it better than the original Pandemic. And the only reason why I say that is, I like how we've eliminated the trading of cards. Oh, okay. Of solving the pandemic to, to cure the virus. I don't have to trade cards. There's not a lot of that going on. Nothing against pandemic. I've played pandemic for years. Love pandemic. Love, you know, the legacy games. It's just, okay. Now I've progressed to the point where I'm no longer having to cure diseases by turning in X amount of cards. So for both these games, I was looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, is it, which would I pull out on the table? And I think for me, you know, if I, to get a quick game in, I'm going to pull out the Clone Wars. Over War to Warcraft. And that's for simplicity only. Interesting. I feel, I feel that okay. the Clone Wars is much simpler than World of Warcraft. Let's talk a little bit about the Clone Wars and basically how, how this works. So in standard pandemic fare, on your turn, you get four actions. I think mm -hmm. that's pretty much the typical four actions per player, right? Yes. In this, in Star Wars Clone Wars, uh, one thing you could do is fly, which is just move to an adjacent planet. You can reinforce, which is draw a card. You can attack, uh, which allows you to move, remove enemies from your planet. So in this game, the, the annoying enemies in this planet are droids. Uh, in, in War of Warcraft, Wrath of the Lich King, it was ghouls that spawn onto the board. Those are the ones, so it's droids you're trying to deal with. Going to roll an attack die. And there's a certain symbol you're looking for. You're, and if you, uh, each droid has one health to deal one damage to them, they're, they're removed. And there's also villains, but we'll worry about that in a second. There's missions. So there's uh, missions that are on the board at certain planets. At the beginning of the game, you, you build up a mission deck. And there's a certain number of missions that you need to complete before you go after uh, the villain. And when you do missions, the missions will say, okay, we're looking for a certain number of like damage uh, to be dealt to this mission. And that's going to be done through uh, rolling dice and card play. After those four actions, that's where the game to me, Tony, differs uh, at that point. Because in like World of Warcraft, you're going to draw cards to replenish cards from your hand because you're actually spending cards to take actions. Mm -hmm. That's what's really different Star Wars Clone Wars. You're not spending cards. You're actually drawing cards, putting them on the table, and using those, you activate them and then like exhaust them, and then you get to unexhaust them at the beginning of your turn. But they also represent the health of you as the player too. Right, but you don't die in this game. You just simply get 
because cards give you the ability to do more damage or to complete the mission. So you're always trying to maintain that, but you're absolutely right. If you're having to discard cards for your damage, then your capable, your ability to complete the missions is now diminished, right? That you're managing your card play because you have to have cards. So during your turn, you'd be drawing more cards. So you have to watch that so that you always have the cards in front of you because you don't want to waste your actions because if you waste your actions, you can't complete the missions and battle the droids and keep the threat level from increasing over time. Because when you get to the bottom threat, just like outbreaks, certain level game over. Yep. And they had the same sort of thing in World of Warcraft. There was a despair track, a bomb despair track. That's also another way to lose. But I think from the pandemic games I've played, this is the first time that one of the player actions is actually to draw cards. Because that's always an automatic thing after mm-hmm. the four actions that you take. And here, you must spend an action to get more cards. Because right. it's not automatic now. Yeah, because base pandemic is always draw two cards. Mm-hmm. And so does World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I can't remember in World of Warcraft, you know, you always have the, or I call it the pandemic. All right, let's increase our threat or infect the board. Here, we're infecting it with droids. That also happens in uh, World of Warcraft. It was called... The Scourge Rises. That's where you advance the Scourge marker. The Lich King is going to advance, and then more stuff comes onto the board. But Warcraft and Clone Wars have the same thing as far as missions. You have to complete so many missions before you you can go battle the Lich King. Yes. And same thing with Clone Wars. You have to complete the missions before you can go battle the big bad villain. Big difference between the two, questing and World of Warcraft, it carries over from turn to turn. Mm-hmm. You you keep the progress of the quest, not so in Star Star Wars: The Clone Wars. You must do every all the damage progression at the same time. If you don't complete it, all of that is lost. Right, and when every action you do, every attack you do, every time you try to complete, you have to complete it at that time. And I'm looking over the rules, and I think we may have an asterisk from our play, but that's I'm not going to worry about it so much that I, we forgot to add damage if there were droids left on the planet where we were. No, you're right. Yeah. Now, I will say it wasn't much of an asterisk for us. And we played this mm. game multiple times. We had to. <laughs> we played multiple times. The reason why it wasn't that big of a deal, because usually we did a good job of cleaning off all the droids. Yeah. Usually when we went in there, we usually knocked out all the droids because they're very easy to kill. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we knew going in that uh, the, the the die, which is like a D12, I believe, has damage icons that you deal. But also there's another type of icon that... If it shows up on that side of the die that you roll, you take direct damage back. And what's also tough is when you go and try to go after certain quests, some of those automatically deal damage to you too if you succeed. So you mm-hmm. got to make sure you can only have seven cards uh, in typical kind of pandemic fashion. You got to make sure that you can uh, have enough cards to discard if you, for all the damage that you're going to take when you take on one of those uh, missions. Yes. And I think one of the probably other things that for this game that I enjoyed was the villain, the villain aspect, the villain deck. Ah, that's different. That is different. So the, whoever the villain may be, Darth Maul or whoever, at the end of your actions, uh, you know, you do your four actions and then, you know, you activate the villain. So what does this mean? You draw a villain card and it will tell you to do certain things. It may move the villain to the mission planet. It may require, you know, things to happen uh, on the deck, kind of like an epidemic 
where you pull yep. the bottom card over. It's called planning under siege. You, you advance the invasion marker, which is very straight pandemic. You go up that f- track that allows you to pull the number of cards when you enhance the droids out there, draw the bottom card, and then you shuffle, put it back on top. That villain deck is very limited, six cards for each villain. So you pretty much are going to see over time what all the impacts are, and they will do bad things to you. They're villains. You expect that. And that aspect is something I enjoyed from this game. Yes, because typically uh, in regular pandemic, that draw deck that everybody draws from every turn has that epidemic-style card in it. World of Warcraft had the same thing. Those cards were in that deck. In this game, that particular card is actually in the villain deck, and you know... Like you said, there's only like six cards in the villain deck. So you're going to see that card pretty often that causes basically resetting of the, what you call the infection deck. It's obviously not called that uh, in, in this game. Uh, yeah, so that too uh, is also different. Now we played, when we, our first game, we said, all right, so Tony said, do you want to play beginner or normal? It's like, normal, we're, we're gamers. Do you want to play with the starting villain or the one or somebody else? Oh, let's do Darth Maul. Let's not do the starting villain. We lost and lost pretty darn quick. Yes, we did. <laughs> Woo. Well, well, you know, we've played Pandemic. I've played Pandemic, I don't know how many times. We've played other types of these games where you're having this threat. We can manage this, but it was. It was different enough that it caused us to lose very quickly. Mm-hmm. We, did, we didn't know how to manage the threat. We didn't know how to manage the um, keep his character from quickly ramping that threat up. And there was something about his power. It was just like, holy cow, how do you stop him from doing that? And it was just going back and referencing all the rules. The more rules you get, the better you will understand how this will be impacted. What's nice is we immediately reset the game. And resetting this game is very, very easy. Uh, Everybody can pick their own character that they want to play. Every character has like a certain uh, ability or special ability to them. You set, set up a new villain and you go from there. Now, next game, we said, okay, fine. We'll do beginner. We'll do the starter <laughs> villain. And we did a lot better when we actually uh, won the game. One thing I did like about this game was when it came to doing the occupation or invade the planet phase, If you ha- in pandemic fashion, you normally do an outbreak. Mm-hmm. Here, there is no outbreak. You simply put a blockade, which is a, some ship that they have that goes onto the planet, which keeps you from, if it's a mission planet, keeps you from doing it. It enhances the defense of that planet. So that was important. It's another way to raise the threat because there's limited amount of blockades. So if you don't have a blockade to place, you have to raise the threat level. Once again, you get to the bottom of the threat, you're going to lose. So I like that, that you weren't spreading out all these droids. You were having to go and manage that and you had to take that into consideration. Yeah, and so the uh, basically the blockade required two damage in order to remove it from that planet. And like you said, that blocked you from even interacting with the mission. Once you complete the mission, then you go try to chase down the villain. And all the villains are a little bit different, uh, but typically going to try to deal damage. To, you're going to take the villain card and actually flip it over. And, uh, and you're going to res- uh, try deal damage is required uh, to get rid of the villain at that point. And then and that's how you basically win the game is take out the villain. Much like in World of Warcraft, the goal is try to take out the, the Wrath of the Lich King. And you do that by uh, going up its quest card at the Ice Crown Citadel. It's funny going back and looking at the rules for Ice Crown Citadel. I really enjoyed that game. I thought it was a lot of fun. But I do remember that some of the questing and everything kind of got tedious. Mm-hmm. Because you had to pro- progress 
up the, the quest track and spend certain icons. Remember, there are certain icon cards you had to spend in order to move up the quest track. And then once you got to the end, you completed it. And the same thing carried forward here. It did. Yeah, it did. No, you're right. But, and oh, you could work together. So let's mm -hmm. talk. Yeah, it is a co-op game. So if you're on the planet together and somebody is trying to complete uh, the mission, whoever else is at that planet can exhaust cards they have in play in order to add uh, to the amount of damage uh, that needs to be done. And the missions require maybe certain types of cards that can only be used in that particular mission. Some may require stealth cards. Some may require attack cards or a combination. Overall, I enjoyed it. Not being a big Star Wars fan, I did like the changes they've made to the pandemic system for this. I felt that it would be something I could probably teach a lot better than pandemic, especially because I'm not having to manipulate trades. And the flight is quite simple, you know, in pandemic, I remember so many times, okay, there's the shuttle service and then there's the direct flight and you need to do this. And this is just straightforward, move a planet. Unless you have a card that allows you to move another planet, you can tap it. I enjoyed that aspect of it. Now I question, you know, after so many times replayability, if I've played all of all four of the villains, you know, will I be done with this game? There's a solo version possibly. But I mean, it's all you can always replay it because you don't know how it's going to be set up or what the challenges are. But you may learn a way to defeat that villain. We have to do this first, that first, and we just haven't played it enough to make a final judgment on it. That's the question that's in my mind for this game. Mm -hmm. So for me, again, I'm kind of comparing it to the World of Warcraft. It is different enough to where it's not just a rethemed. It is very much different, especially with how, you know, when you're dealt damage in World of Warcraft, you actually take damage to your hero. There's this whole option of being able to go and rest in order to heal damage. That doesn't exist here. Thematically, they did some really cool things in World of Warcraft where strongholds can come into play. You could do fast travel between locations. Uh, here, you're just flying from planet to planet. If you happen to have a ship card, you could jump two planets at once by exhausting that particular card. Both games very different. I don't know which one I like better. I think I like the flow of the game of Star Wars Clone Wars better. I really dug how different the card play was mm -hmm. of getting seven cards in play and exhausting them and using them. It's very different from the other Pandemic games, but I think I like the theme of the War of Warcraft, but it also got a little tedious too. I like both, and I think it'd be whichever mood I'm in, I would want to play. And I mean, they've been selling uh, the Warcraft one at Target. You can go pick it up on clearance on some of these aisles for like $25. It's a no-brainer. If you mm. enjoy the pandemic system, this is a no-brainer. Yes. And especially if you enjoy these IPs. Yes. And it's different enough from the base pandemic to where you won't feel like you're just playing something with a Star Wars name slapped on top of it. Yes. I agree with that completely. So that is Star Wars The Clone Wars from Z-Man Games. Plays one to five players, 60 minutes, which is spot on unless you're like us and you lose within 30 minutes. But mm -hmm. hey, it's easy to set up and play again. This will sit right beside the World of Warcraft, the Wrath of the Lich King, along with some of my other pandemic games. Different enough to stay on the shelf, different enough to keep and play. MiniatureMarket.com, it's that time of season when you start filling out the wish lists and you need to get over there. 
because games are going on sale. They always have special deals. You never do know when they're going to give free shipping, reduced shipping, when they're going to give certain discounts. Their stores, if you live in the St. Louis area, are always full of games. You can go pick them up. But if you're like here in the Carolinas, nothing like putting a few games out there, putting them on hold, then getting them to ship. Or if you're like some of us, you go in together, purchase up so you get free shipping and then be told that some of your games are on pre-order. I will not let him live this down for doing that, but that's okay. Marty, we'll, we'll let you. Oh, I got an update on our pre-order, Tony. Yes. Uh, War of the Ring has been delayed to December. Excellent. That's awesome. <laughs> so be sure to check that before you go in together with your friends over at miniaturemarket.com. They have plenty of accessories. They've got mats. They've got card uh, sleeves. All kinds of stuff that you could use to make the gaming. These are definitely for those stocking stuffers. It's that time to start getting that wish list put together. Matter of fact, make sure your family knows where they can find it over at miniaturemarket.com. This upcoming game review is sponsored by Game Toppers. The holidays are just around the corner. I gotta say, a Game Topper game mat would be a perfect present for a gamer in your life. They're very reasonably priced, but they are a high quality product. We use it every week on our game nights. Or maybe you want a little something for yourself. In that case, maybe you want to consider a game mat or a full game topper. Whichever way you want to go, give somebody else a gift, give yourself a little something, head over to GameToppersLLC.com to find out more. All right, Tony, what are we talking about in this segment? Right before Gen Con, I had the opportunity to play a new game from Portal Games called Brazil Imperial mm -hmm. by Z Mendez. Ignacy pitched it as a four-by game. Explore, exterminate. Wrong, wrong. That's what he said. He was a in Euro, my house. A Euro X. A Euro X. Okay, what's the big difference? A four, wait, number one, I don't know what a four by, I know what a four by four is. I don't you know, know what a four, I know, I know okay, what a four two by X. four is. A four by, four by, four X, okay? It's a four <laughs> by two. <laughs> okay, there's between four X and four by. Okay, four with an X. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Explore, exterminate, and the other ones. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Exploit, expand. Okay. Um, <laughs> Euro X, meaning the idea of a 4X game with a Euro type feel where there's a lot of resource management. Mm. And to me, uh, we, I got to play this at Gen Con, so we've already talked about it from then too. So it's officially coming out now. Pre-orders are being shipped out. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's officially available in the US, which is why we brought it back to the table again uh, to give it another shot. Because I remember, Tony, when I played it, I said, oh, boy, this game needs to be played again to really understand it. And, yes, I played it again to get a better understanding. I enjoy the game. Uh, it's one of those that I understand where the Euro X comes from. I still, in the games that we've played, we haven't done a lot of the head-to-head -head combat. And maybe that's why I didn't do as well, because I should be going after people and attacking each other. But I like the Euro-ness of this game. I like the action selection where... Uh, on your turn, you're going to take an action of one of several actions, and then that action can't be taken again next turn. So you can't take the same action mm -hmm. uh, twice in a row. I do appreciate that. The, the actions are really straightforward, such as building buildings, expanding out your your area. And the whole goal is you got these he this hex map that's on the table that's pre-built. I like this. Variability of the maps. You're going to pick one of the maps to build, like we did the Brazil map uh, for the game that we had. And each of you has a certain location. 
uh, you're trying to expand your kingdom or uh, your cities, your capitals, expand uh, your capitals uh, by uh, claiming some of the terrains, by building buildings on them that will give you like sheep or food or grain, etc. Sheep. Sheep. Was it sheep? What was it? Cotton. Wool? It was cotton. <laughs> Look, sheep. I see a white resource. I assume it's sheep. Well, it's kind of like me calling them the coffee tomatoes. Yeah, you're gonna yeah, call it I what know. you want to call it, you know. It's, <laughs> Give it's me the white like, resource. So yeah. I like, you know, you you build the buildings, and then uh, as soon as you build a building, it's populated with that certain type of resource. That resource is always there for you used to spend to buy things. One of the actions you can do is replenish one of those buildings uh, with uh, with the resource, and maybe flip that building over to its other side, which may provide different resources. This game is played over three eras where each air adds new buildings, bigger buildings, better buildings that you can uh, use in your kingdom to uh, expand. And, and what's the whole goal of this thing? Well, it's going to be to get victory points pretty much. At the end, you, you're going to get your victory points. You've got military units that are going out there, possibly, if you play it well, battling one another. If you play yeah. it poorly, like us, you're going to be turtling over in the corner, which is what I did. But what's interesting about the battling, it's not when you take over somebody else's building, uh, basically that gives you access to their resources. So Tony, if you come in and you take over one of my coffee buildings and I got a couple of coffee tokens sitting on there, you can spend those on your turn and, uh, to use for yourself. But if your military unit ever leaves, I actually just get that building right back. And that building is a considered part of your territory because one of the rules they really try to make sure you understand nobody's buildings can ever touch anybody else's territory or building. There must always be at least one tile between everybody's territory. Cause at the end, you're also adding up how big is your territory and that's how you track it. It's the contiguous line of hexes. With this game, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, it's a management of resource game. Definitely to expand because to advance in the era, there are, you're given three era cards. And they will tell you what you need to collect in order to be able to advance your era. One thing I do like, and we've talked about this, is that when I go to era one and I have completed my card, everybody else can go into era two, but they still haven't completed their era one and they can still do that. Yep. And they don't have to. They don't have to. Why do you want to? Because completing era cards gives you victory points. Mm -hmm. I'm just sitting there trying to figure out how am I going to meet the various requirements of my error card that will allow me to then quickly move through the game because that's it. It's a race to get to three and to complete it. And that's the thing too. It is a race because soon, as soon as somebody completes their third card, the game ends. Mm -hmm. It's very tense towards the end of the game because you may be scrambling to try to get victory points or complete your error card and you're looking around the board. And, and so these cards are secret. So you don't know what somebody's working towards. You may have just taken your turn. And unbeknownst to you, Tony, it may be your last turn. Because the next person that goes could go, okay, I just completed my era three card. And everybody gets an equal number of turns. And if you went before them in turn order, that's it. Game is over. So you never get a chance to respond to that. One thing that we did note is that there are paintings that you can collect during the game, which give you... I don't want to say superpowers, but they are very good powers. Oh, yeah. Which helps you figure out, okay, how can I convert this blue resource into this other resource, blue being the most prestigious of all the resources for technology. 
and you're like, okay, how can I get to the blue resource that will help me in error three or be able to allow me to get into my various card completions? I do not know why in this game we do not have the battles that we, we need to have. I don't understand what I, I thought for sure in our f- next play of this that you and I would be trying to battle, but it didn't happen. And I purposely picked a map that didn't have a river going down the middle of it so that everybody could access each other pretty quickly. The battles are somewhat pretty straightforward. I mean, literally, it's just measuring strength of the units that's on the board. There are different type of units that you can deploy. Every board may have a different type of units. There's ranged units where, like, you may have cannons, and if you're adjacent to somebody else, you can attack into that space. As soon as you go into somebody else's space, a battle is immediately going to occur at that point. And there are these battle cards that you collect over the course of the game that when a battle ensues, uh, each of you will play your battle cards that could increase your strength. Uh, The defender will be able to have the chance to do that along with the attacker. And then you determine a winner. If the attacker wins, the defender has to remove their pieces. uh, And then the attacker uh, has it unless the attacker lost all their pieces and there's nobody left on the board. Mm-hmm. And then if the defender wins, then the attacker must retreat uh, back off of that space. So I think I figured out the reason why you want to complete the errors is because you get to put your um, your palaces on the board, which will allow you to oh, do yeah. certain things. And that's yes. very important. It maybe give you additional victory points at the end of the game. You may get some additional uh, resources or scoring. So that's very important. You don't have to complete it, but there, uh, aside from the victory points, it does unlock uh, additional palaces that will help you out. One thing I liked is one of the actions is called manufacturer. And you've on your player board, uh, you've got these uh, little wooden uh, tokens that if you spend a certain number of resources, you can put those tokens under certain under your some of your base actions such that when you take that action the action becomes better it becomes cheaper and so i like that action of spending resources early on to make your base actions even better over the course of the game other items that are noted of this game is a thing called gold cards I think those are very important that I didn't take advantage of very much cuz there are you can get them three ways you can take it through the trade actions uh, during the upgrading of harbor actions and on a palace, palace number three gives you a gold card. Now, mm-hmm. gold cards can be used as gold, the, the generic resource, the wild resource for everything. But on the back of them, they have various capabilities. They may give you some victory points near the end. So do you want to hold on to it? So it's like, oh, I really need to pay for this. Or do I spend it to, or do I hold on it to get victory points at the end? Or... Do I want it for this extra action? Some of those are hard choices, but once again, these cards are very powerful, something you cannot overlook. So paintings are very important. Gold cards are very important. Um, Knowing where your um, various uh, monarchs are and their special abilities, there's a lot going on with all these abilities coming together to try to help you capitalize on the other players and to build out your own kingdom. Yep. And, to me, it's very point salady, And what I mean by that is there's a lot of ways to get victory points in this game. Because at the very end, uh, you're going to count up all the military units that's been deployed from your board. Each of those are worth victory points. So you may want to go the military path, unlocking as many military units as you can. Products manufactured. I'm talking about uh, upgrading your actions. For all those products that have been made, those are worth victory points. 
You talked about how important paintings were. Sure, they give you special abilities, but they're also worth victory points at the end. Uh, the error mission cards that you've uh, completed, those give you the victory points. The gold cards that you mentioned, some of those are worth victory points, making them even more valuable. Exploration tiles that you may have required. This is kind of cool. Uh, there's these uh, face-down tiles on the board, and when you explore that space, you get to pick it up, and it may be some sort of bonus to you, maybe maybe an extra resource or something. It could be just straight victory points. The palaces that you unlock generate victory points, and then the actual buildings themselves. All the buildings that you build are worth victory points, and the ones in the later eras are worth even more victory points. So why I call it a point salad type game, because you see how it's, there's so many different ways Maybe you want to do bunsers as buildings. Maybe you want to build out all your products. Maybe you want to build out all your military or multiples of all those. And I told you, that's where I think I got stuck. I was trying to do a little bit of everything mm. and not enough of a couple things. Okay. Heaven forbid I win, which I, I don't know how I did. Because you're good? No, I'm not. Well, I you've know. played this game several, several times now. So you just got, I think you just gotten better at it over time. Thank you for the compliment. I don't deserve it, so that's okay. <laughs> Another thing on this game is the artwork. So you can you can get entranced by some of this artwork, some of the paintings, some of the various cards. I enjoyed the artwork on these cards, so it's just something. I know it's a small thing, but you know you need to give credit where credit is due. I like the artwork too. It's really really well done. I also appreciate the historical aspects. I like that there is a book in here that kind of tells you about all the different monarchs and the history of them. You know, I've been playing a lot of GMT games or historical mm -hmm. games. I love that extra book that's thrown in that says, oh, this game that you're getting ready to play. Let me tell you about some of the people and what's going on during this period. They've also done that with this game, uh, which I appreciate because, so I was Napoleon. Well, I understand Napoleon is supposed to be a military. I kind of know him, but all the other monarchs I didn't know. Well, now there's this book that you can read up and go, oh, okay, now I see why this person has this special ability because this matches how they were in real life. Want to play it again. Enjoy playing it. It's a pain to set up because there's a lot of little pieces, a lot of setup. There's a lot of pieces. Lot the of random pieces. setup is nice to give a lot of variability. Mm -hmm. You can play different monarchs each time if you want. So I do think it's one of those you can get to the table a lot Yeah. and make it feel different each time. I just want to get one where we're battling. I just want to see how it works. I mean, one thing I can really appreciate about this game is the fact that once you build an army or build your military piece, you don't have to rebuild it. It just goes off to the supply. Yeah, you have to take another deploy action, mm -hmm. but you don't have to pay for them anymore. And that's that's great. Yes. I, mean, I think that's very important. That helps speeds up the game and streamlines it. I agree, because if it would have to come back and have to repay for it again, that would be a pain. So I appreciate that, too. There's a, a lot of nice little things about this thing. Another thing I think that's really nice, too, is when you progress from one era, let's say you go from era one to era two, the action token that you used in era one on the other side has a bonus to it that you could put at the bottom of one of your actions mm -hmm. so that when you take that action, you also get that error bonus at that time. So think about your play group when you're going to this game. Think about if they're, because you can't, all four of you can turtle. You can sit there and do, like Marty says, point salad, trying to figure it out. Or you can be in each other's face, whatever you want. I think this game is good for both. It's coming out now. That is Brazil Imperial 
We know it. The publisher is Meeple BR, but we know him from Portal. We know Ignacy's getting it out there. So yeah, so Ignacy has brought it over here to uh, make it available to us in the U.S. He he had, he saw it. He said, "Oh, I love this game. I wanted to get it out there for more people to play it." And that's uh, basically what he did. So this was released in small quantities at Gen Con. The reason why we're talking about it now, because now it's actually out there for anybody to be able to buy. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. We got to play a new game from Come On Global Limited called Monolith, designed by Phil Walker Harding. And this game is about building a monolith to score victory points. Imagine that, Marty. You're scoring victory points by putting blocks together to build a monolith that meets a certain pattern. And on your turn, you are simply moving a crystal. You pick up a block. You stack it on your new player board. Meet certain rules of placing that. And at the end of the game, you count up how many colors you have on a side. Did you guess it right? I know I'm messing up the rules, but basically, <laughs> this game is all about... I know I'm messing up the rules. Wow. It's all about putting blocks together to meet certain patterns and have certain colors on the side and saying, I'm going to get how many colors on this side. That's well, what yeah, you're, you're kind of betting because each side of the board, your player board, uh, has a certain colors mm -hmm. uh, showing. And the blocks that you place are multiple colors, but at the end of the game, you're going to count the number of colors on that side. During the game, what you can do is take, for your action, you can take one of the cards and say, well, let's say it has a number on like six. And I'm going to put that beside this color here, turquoise. I'm saying here that at the end of the game, I'm going to have six or more turquoise cubes showing on this side of the board. And you can either take the blocks or take this prophecy and yep. figure out what you want to do when you complete a level. If you're the first to complete a level, you get a certain amount of victory points. Yep. And also at the beginning of the game, uh, there is a, a structure that's put in place that you're trying to complete. And like for Tony, the, the one that we got was a pool. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea was is that the uh, the center of the of the cube can only be a level zero or one high, and the outer walls must be two or higher, making it like a little pool. And if you did that, you got a certain number of victory points, which I screwed up on. I, I did not complete that, actually. It's not mandatory, but if you do, you just get some bonus points. It kind of gives you a guidance on what you want to start building. And it's a race. You're, you're racing. The first one to do that gets the highest victory points. So when you complete three levels in a three to four player game or four levels in a two player game, then whoever has the most wins. And for us on a three player, I did not find it to be very tense as far as getting the prophecies or making sure that we were going to score. I always felt that we were neck and neck on our scoring. And we were. Mm-hmm. But when I played a two-player game with Donna, that was a different story because some of the prophecies required, like on one side, 16. You had to get 16 colors. Well, none of us were going to do that. Well, maybe mm -hmm. we weren't. And I took one that she needed, and she took one that I needed. And that was pretty intense when we were playing two-player. I was very surprised by that. So I was thinking that maybe, you know, with a smaller player count, believe it or not, it was going to be uh, more of a challenge. And this, this plays kind of like patchwork when you're moving the crystal around. So you just have to keep that. You're trying to say, how do I strategically get the cubes that I want before someone else takes them? I, I mean, what did you think about it? I, I liked it. 
You typically don't like these style of games, right? Because you don't like spatial relation games. I'm not good with spatial relations, so this one's not that intense. Yeah, uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I tend to like these. I, it's very tactile. Uh, I love kind of grabbing the blocks and building everything. And the real only restriction to the rules is, like you said, it has to be supported. When you place a block, it must be supported underneath it. You just can't put it over a, a gap in the hole. I do like the idea of uh, kind of keeping an eye on everybody. And it's like, oh, how close are they to finishing their queue? Because then the game is over. And is it a race to try to finish before everybody else does? Try to make sure they don't meet their prophecy uh, that mm-hmm. they, they selected for a certain side and stuff. So it can get a little tense at the end. But overall, for that style of game, I enjoyed it because it plays so quick and it's very easy to learn and play. One of the things I really enjoyed was that everybody's player board may have had different colors. So we all didn't have like the white, the blue, the orange. Mm-hmm. That was important. I like the ability of discarding a piece where you could only have one block. You could bring in one block and those were limited. So not everybody has a infinite pile of just a, a one block. Which was typically used to, to fill in a gap or something mm-hmm. that you maybe needed real quick. Yeah. And I also like the fact that once we completed the design, you were all, you're done. You scored the points, move on. And that's one of the things that we were kind of confused. Well, how do I keep this and finish the game? Once you do it, you score the points and you move on. Yep. Overall, I enjoyed it. I, I, I like the production of it. Mm-hmm. It's a game. Donna enjoyed this one, but we've been getting a lot into that with these various types of like vivid um, games along those lines of, of figuring that out. I do think it's a good uh, game for kids. Uh, it makes you think about special relations and stuff like that too. Very easy to game to get into. So uh, if you want to play with children that kind of get them to work their minds a little bit about how where to position blocks and everything, I really recommend it for that too. So great for parents and children. So that is Monolith from Come On Global Limited. Five-minute initiative is complete. One thing I love when I go to portalgamesus.com is that Ignacio released these updates on like where products are in the uh, in the funnel. So, for example, his latest update as of uh, this recording is that Basilica and Wrath of the Lighthouse uh, will be released November 17th at your friendly local gaming store, so keep an eye out for that. Tony, you and I got to play Basilica, a two-player game. And then I know you've already had a chance to play, but I ain't got a chance to check it out yet, so I'm looking forward to playing that with you sometime. Uh, hey, if you're in Europe, uh, 11 is being sent to distributors, and it will come out on November 17th. The U.S. edition of Brazil, which we talked about this episode, will come out November 24th. So if you're interested in that, go check that out. And also, Tony, the Mississippi Army for the Nirashima Hex app releases November 21st. So we need to get that so you and I can play that on our phone and uh, see how that one plays. Have you, have you tried the Mississippi Army before? Yes, I have. And yes, I do want to play that. Uh, matter of fact, I beat your butt in the last Hex game that we had on the app. I conceded. I just totally conceded because, number one, I didn't understand how to play this army. I made a tactical error somewhere. And then I realized there is no way to redeem myself because I've left people on the board that do absolutely no good. And you are just surrounding me with everything. So... Thank you to the app. I can go and just concede, and you won 20 to nothing. That's a, it's still a win in my columns, baby. It is 100% a win. You deserve it. You played the game well. If you can't get the Hex game to the table, by sure, by, by sure, be sure to get it on the, the various apps, uh, cross-platform. Love that. Someday, I hope it'll be on the Switch. 
So remember to keep up all this information, head over to portalgamesus.com. If I see a game, Tony, that comes out that's an historical game that's two-player only, that plays in 60 minutes or less, I raise my hand and I'm super interested in it. So when Clay Ross told me, he said, hey, Marty, I got this game coming out. You might be interested in Capstone Games called Fire and Stone, Siege of Vienna, 1683. You might want to check it out. Number one, as soon as I saw a picture of it or on the table, uh, like at some of the cons, I went, oh, number one, the board looks gorgeous. The pieces look gorgeous. I want to find out more about it. So he sent us a copy of it. The designer's Robert Daleski. And this is about... Or guess what? The Siege of Vienna in 1683, where one person plays as the Ottomans and the other person plays as the Habsburgs. And to me, Tony, this reminded me of a Stronghold from um, Ignasi because one person is the attacker, one person is the defender. So one person's inside of a walled city and the other person's trying to get in. The Ottomans are trying to invade and the Habsburgs are trying to keep them back. I was going to say that's a stretch if this is Stronghold or Stronghold Undead, which, by the way, brilliant game. Someday we'll play it. But that's about it. It's it's the sieging. That's as close as you can make with these two. Because other than that, like you said, it's pointing out Fort Sumter. This is the same type of card play. Manipulation oh, of it's a card. Uh, here, here, I'm going to use the uh, war gamer term. This is a CDG game, card-driven game. Okay. Well, you're very familiar. Twilight Struggle. You're very familiar with this. Yeah. Uh, basically, you're going to play a card. That card gives you, you can take one of your basic actions. And mm-hmm. I like this. The basic actions between the two sides are a tad different. Or you can take the text that's on the card and use it. So you either spin it as an action or use the event on the card. So I lost miserably. If you were the Habsburg, the Viennese <laughs> people who claimed to have the hope of saving your city, and I was your general, you lost. Because <laughs> you told me in real history, they won. They, they didn't win. In, in real me. history, they won. Again, uh, I love it. There's a little book that said the historical. Well, before you got there, I read the entire history of this. I thought it was super interesting. So the Ottomans had like, gosh, it was like 100,000 troops that were mm-hmm. wanting to come in and take a, go take over Vienna. The Habsburgs only had, it was 12, tens thousand. of thousands of troops or 12,000 troops. And they were just like trying to hold off this huge Ottoman Empire until reinforcements came in. So uh, they so they were behind these uh, walled areas. They had high ground, so they had cannons all over the area. They were able to shoot down into the Ottomans. The Ottomans were using kind of trench warfare. They would entrench themselves and try to encroach upon the walls. There was a whole idea they would try to dig under the walls, dig tunnels and place explosives to try to take down the walls. The Hadsburgs also tried to dig tunnels out to try to take them out by placing uh, explosions in order to try to take out some of their troops too. All that historically happened. And what I think is so cool, all that is captured in the game itself. Because mm-hmm. it's very important to build up those walls, those uh, structures to help advance or sorry, keep people from advancing because you're basically throwing your men onto the other. Because when you battle, when I need to repel the attackers, and I think this was one of the more interesting actions that we had, that if I want to attack a hex, I got to play as the Habsburg three cards. You got to play a certain amount based on adjacency of your forces. Yeah, so I got to play at least three 
And if I had this hex surrounded by multiple of my guys and they could all trace back to our main camp, I could play one additional army card for each hex adjacent to the one that's being attacked. Right. So as this action is going forth, because just in you know 1683, it was basically a battle of attrition. Mm. Who had the most people usually win. Here it didn't happen that way because they had the high ground. <laughs> so when I'm forcing you to attack, you're going to play X amount of cards and the higher number of the strength is going to win that hex. But if I have fortifications, you basically push those people back and they don't For every count. fortification yeah. that you have, I have to take one of my frontline guys and move them to the back. They are no longer able to help in this attack. Right. To solve the see who wins. Yeah. And when you're doing that, that's very important. So you need to recognize where you need fortifications. I failed to do that. It's okay. Because <laughs> that's one of the actions you can mm -hmm. take on your turn is put fortifications onto hexes. Mm -hmm. Which are mm -hmm. represented by, they're just little wooden rods. You can play a tactics card, which we didn't mention, but at the beginning of the game, there's five rounds. There are, there's, each of us have a deck of tactic cards, and you draw five. You only get five in the game. You may spend them whenever you want to battle, but they're gone. So in later rounds, if you spend all your tactics cards, and these tactics cards are like, ignore Marty's tactics cards, or hey, you can now deploy an extra dice, or whatever they said. You play your troops. You play a tactics card if you want. Resolve. Oh, don't forget the cannons fire. Cannons fire in every battle. Now, this is interesting, Tony. Mm -hmm. Anytime the cannons fire for the Hadsburgs, every cannon on your side fires. For the Ottomans, the only ones that fire are the ones that are adjacent to the space being attacked. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's that whole high ground concept. You get to volley every single cannon. And when you roll, you're just looking for sixes. You get a six, you uh, eliminate one of my troop cards, which is extremely important because you only have a limited number of troops. And once they're eliminated, that's it. They're out of my deck. And if at any time, either one of us have all of our troops eliminated, the other side wins. There's the battle of attrition. I need to get through your deck so you're not very powerful, which keeps you from attacking my fortifications. Mm -hmm. And you're doing the same thing to me. And I have to be very careful of that because at the end of the round, any card that we spent that was not eliminated goes back into our deck. And we're, we're searching through this. These aren't random draws. We're trying to decide the number, but I only have so many ones, twos, and threes. Same with you. Good point. My deck of troops are bigger. Again, this represents more troops coming in. And like you said, it's not random. You just get to pick who's mm -hmm. going to be in there. But you know that there's a good chance that when those cannons fire, you might, lose, you might lose some of those guys. Right. And if you run into the fortification, they may also be pushed to the back. Mm -hmm. So you could play all threes, let's say. You know you've got, you're going to outnumber me. You see the fortification, so you know you're going to have to push one of them back. So why not play all threes? Because when the cannons fire, if you're unfortunate enough, I could eliminate those, and you won't have them for layer, making it much harder for you to advance. Same thing for me. I could very well, your cannons could fire and you could roll up a six and now suddenly it is harder for me to defend the city. The, when we talk about it, it doesn't sound like it's very thematic or that it creates the tension that may have been there at that time, but it does. It did 
dramatically, especially when I'm up there and I'm rolling and suddenly my eight cannons fire and you see nothing but four sixes. And you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened here? Or you roll and all of a sudden I've got minimal troops and I've got a discard down and you just happen to pull the three. Mm -hmm. So there is that tension. There is that strategy. Do I want to play this card to do my fortifications or man, it's really good and I need to use its ability. Right. And also when you talk about this, so you're playing over uh, five rounds and you play a card back and forth. And the only time that you can pass is if your opponent has more cards than you, or you only have one or no cards in your hand. And once both sides pass, the round ends. Now, again, the Hadsburgs are waiting for reinforcements. If they can just last five rounds, they win. The Ottomans are trying to take over two key hexes on the board or one major hex on the board. If they do either of that, they win. And again, if either of the side's troops are eliminated. One thing I like too, Tony, is that after a battle, any troops that weren't eliminated, just go to your discard Mm -hmm. pile. At the end of the round, everything in your discard pile goes back to your main troop deck. So they're again available the next round. I love to this whole, I talked about placing bombs and doing the whole mining thing. Each side has a way to dig tunnels and place uh, bombs. You randomly draw these cards uh, out of a bag is shovel cards. And if you can ever reveal a value of shovel cards, if you get a card and you put it in a space, and if you can ever flip over enough of your shovel cards to where they add up to four, if it was the Hadsburgs that did it, they choose one Ottoman control space and re- uh, remove all improvised fortifications from it. If the Ottomans succeed, they choose an adjacent space and remove a structural fortification, which is a different type. It's a little bit stronger. Also love, too, that uh, one of the actions that's different on the Hadsburg's turn, you got you can barrage, fire all of your cannons. If you get two or more sixes, just eliminate one random troop from their deck. So the uh, Ottomans must randomly take one from their deck, uh, troop from their deck, and it's out of the game. The... Ottomans have cannons, but they do bombard. Their goal is to roll for their cannons. If they get two or more sixes, they get rid of a structural fortification. So they're trying to break down the fortifications to siege and get in. Meanwhile, the Hadsburgs are just trying, like you said, attrition, just whittle down the number of troops that's out there. So that's just the different types of actions that each side has, which I like the asymmetry of the game. Two player only. It's going to take 60 to 90 minutes. Easy to play this. And as far as replayability, constant. You'll always be able to replay this at any time. I mean, swap sides. See if you're a better general on the other side. Is there ever going to be one strategy strategy to win? No, because the dice. That's going to bring in the randomness. And And the five random tactics cards that you draw at the beginning. The components, top notch. I'm telling you all, the, the components look great. Clay was nice enough to send us a neoprene mat of the board. Oh, I love neoprene mats. <laughs> it, it is a stitched edge. It, it looks so good. Solid, solid two-player historical game. I, I, Man, I just love playing these things. And again, I love reading about this stuff and then seeing how these designers take the things that happen in, in history and put them as part of the game the way the cannons work, 
the way the mining works and the bombs and everything. It's just just so well done. Fantastic job to Robert Dulesky. And a big thanks to Capstone Games for bringing out this two-player historical game. Highly recommended. Fire and Stone, Siege of Vienna, 1683. UltraPro.com. Head over there now. They've already got some various Black Friday deals going on. Matter of fact, 50% off wall scrolls. What good is a wall scroll? Maybe you have a game room. You need to get some pictures hung up there. Matter of fact, one of them is the Black Lotus card. Can you imagine that just hanging on the wall, Marty, that you've got that over there? Can I interject? So they sent us samples of these wall scrolls, and they are super, super nice. They're like a cloth base. They have wooden rods at mm-hmm. the end of them so hanging out. Super nice. Yeah, so if you're interested in that, those wall scrolls are, are, are super High quality, super. Can I say super anymore? It's super. I, don't, I, th- I think they are super. A lot of it. If you go f- over there, you'll see the D&D characters. I mean, you could have in your room all the various mana, the swamp, island, mountain, plains, you know, forest, wall scrolls hanging up over there. You've got the various, oh, I don't know, dungeon masters, various cover series to some RPG books. These wall scrolls are currently on sale for 50% off. So be sure to head over to the ultrapro.com site as they continue to leak these various Black Friday sales. Um, Definitely get signed up for their newsletter so that you can be aware of any other sales that they have coming soon as far as your card sleeves, the games, sports memorabilia. Who knows? You might have a signed baseball card from one of your favorite rookies and you need to get that put in a good acrylic holder so that it does not diminish over time. That's ultrapro.com. I hate it took 12 years to do it, but I finally sat down and played Bayonetta 1 and holy crap, I'm glad I did. I regret that I spent this many years not playing that series, Tony, because that is one of the most fun video games I've played in a very long time. Well, I appreciate you finally telling me that it's a video game because on our show notes, Bayonetta, usually in the outro, is all about video games. So I kind of pissed it together. (laughs) Pieced it together. (laughs) Pieced it together. So it is, I have no idea anything about this game. So I'm glad you finally got to play something I have nothing about, know nothing about. So this came out on the 360. And I remember when it originally came out. I had that. that. I have that. I still have that console. Mine doesn't even have an HDMI. It was available. I, I knew about this. I don't know why I wasn't drawn to it. But let me tell you what. It is. The action is super over the top. I think the character of Bayonetta is hysterical. I think she's a fun character. The story's okay. The, I think the world building and stuff they've done is, is super interesting. It just moves, man. The game, just it never slows down. It just It's just constant moving. I finished this game and gosh, it was like 10, 11 hours. It's, it, so it moves really fast as far as, as the time. You never get tired of it. I loved it. I'm now ready to play Bayonetta 2 and Bayonetta 3 just came out. So I regret taking 10 years, 12 years. And it was funny. My son Travis said, oh, you're going to like this game. Because mm. he's been a big fan of the series. And he's he just finished up Bayonetta 3. And he said, they're all good. He said, Bayonetta 1 is probably the best still of the three. But still. Fun game. So, I don't know if you ever want to borrow it. You'd be interested in it because it is short. It is an action game. One thing that's nice, it has different uh, levels of difficulty mm-hmm. from like super easy where it automatically aims and you just hold a button down and everybody dies to <laughs> extremely difficult. <laughs> so, that's the range it has. <laughs> I would probably enjoy borrowing a short game. However, 
I cannot get my stupid Nintendo controller to pair, my pro controller to pair, and the Discord channel is saying, oh, you just need to plug it into the USB-C cable. I cannot, I cannot get it to pair to my Switch. I've been trying all day. So you've plugged in your USB cable to your Switch dock. Mm-hmm. Plugged it in the controller. Mm-hmm. And when you power it on, you can't hit the two shoulder buttons and it syncs up? It will not pair. Uh, are the lights on the controller to show that it's powered up? Yeah, it's, it's showing the little green lights flashing back and forth on the bottom of the controller with the red light charging. I don't know if it needed to charge more, but I tried a, a standard USB-C cable. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I have no idea where my other USB-C came. There's a ton of them. Have you tried multiple? There's like two or three different ports on the USB dock. Have you tried other other ones? I have. I also tried the one where you go into the Joy-Con app and then you hold down and you go over and you say, uh, change the grip, I think is what it's called. Yeah. And you try to hit the L and the R at the same time. It will not pair. So I am not a happy camper right now. I'll probably when we're done recording, I will try this again. Is there a pairing button on the back of the, I don't, I usually yes. have one on my desk. Have you, and you've tried re- holding it in? I'm thinking I'm not holding it long enough. Okay. Because, so my wife has hearing aids and um, my, so, do, so does my uncle. And they were telling me uh, about my uncle somehow put his hearing aids in airplane mode. Did you know you could do that? But, you know, hearing aids now have, hearing aids have Bluetooth and all that good stuff. No, I did not know that. So you can put hearing aids into airplane mode. And the way you do that is if you hit the button on the hearing aid a certain length of time, it will put them into airplane mode. Which turns them off. Well, no, it puts them in certain, that's, that's just it. Mode. Airplane mode versus basically airplane mode is it cuts off all the wireless. It it doesn't turn them off. It's just suddenly they don't, they're not the same. They, they become, I don't know. They're not off because he tried to repower them up. Okay. And even Donna talked to her audiologist about it and they're like, yes, they finally got rid of that feature on the new ones because to get them out of airplane mode, you had to hold the button down a precise amount of time. Mm. failure to do that kept them in airplane mode. Powering them on and off didn't make them come out of it. I'm like, why do hearing aids have airplane mode? That makes no sense to me. What? So the pilot doesn't mess up his communications because your hearing aids are on? It's anyway. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm not holding the pairing button down long enough. Yeah. So try that or see if there's a way to reset the controller itself. Like a hard reset of the controller. Uh, Google will be my friend after this recording. I'll give it a shot. I'm curious. I have I have not had that problem. That would suck that a seventy dollar controller is is dead like that. But yeah, what what Discord said is true. Typically, if there's a, I have an issue, I hardwired in using USB C and it comes right up. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking you needed a special because back in the days when you had Garmin and when you didn't have GPS on your phone, you had to have a Garmin. Mm-hmm. It had you had to plug it in using its special cable because it had this little knot on it. Do you remember yeah. those things? Yeah, not so, not on this one. It's just a standard because I use an Amazon basic USB C cable for my okay. switch controller, no problem. Well, but when you get it up and running, what are you playing? Well, maybe you and I can figure out a time when I'm not too busy to get online and play some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, I know. You got this new computer and stuff. I got you wanna play a game? You wanna play and you never respond. I was too busy playing a game we didn't even discuss here, and that was Asmodee's Ticket to Ride Poland map, which we will cover in a later show. Okay. Oh, good. Cool. Sure. You can also be uh, excited to hear about that. 
What I was not excited to hear, uh, sad news this past week, The my voice of Batman, Kevin Conroy, passed away at mm-hmm. age 66. I He had been battling with uh, cancer, and that hit the, the comic world, the pop cultural world, pretty hard. I saw a lot of people posting about this because when a, people hear Batman speak, many people in their head hear Kevin Conroy's voice because he voiced it for so long. And the animated series, plus a lot of video games, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you don't hear Michael Keaton. You don't hear Val Kilmer. You hear Kevin Conroy. Uh, Vanessa was sad, too, because uh, she went to a comic book show in Mississippi over the summer. I didn't get to go, and Kevin Conroy was there. She got oh, to see him. Oh, cool. Yeah, so oh. I, she said, oh, man, he must have been battling with it then. I said, yeah. And I said, the, the state actually said he wanted to do as many cons as he could and meet with his fans until he, he couldn't any longer. So uh, sad Kevin Conroy passed away, will always be the voice of the Batman uh, to me. Uh, is that series out on Blu-ray or however you want to get your digital media nowadays? The animated series? If it'd be anywhere, I would think it would be on, uh, who has WB stuff? Is that HBO Max now? It may be on mm. there. 100% you can buy it on Blu-ray. They have the complete animated series available on Blu-ray. How long? I, I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. I'm sorry, but how many seasons? Do you know that off the top of your head? It was a lot. I, I know I didn't see a lot of them. Really? I I think every week I tuned in. I think okay. I probably saw most of them, I would think. Yeah, I cannot remember. There were some. I mean, the Clayface. I mean, you know, Mark Hamill as the Joker. Just the whole action between those, the the. The stories were just so good. And see, that was the sad thing. Uh, Mark Hamill posted a picture of him and Kevin Ke- and Kevin together. Uh, Tara Strong, who did the voice of Harley Quinn. She will always be the voice of Harley Quinn to me. Uh, posted a picture of them two together. And to be honest with you, Mark Hamill, even though there have been some great jokers in the past, Mark Hamill's voice, it will always, his laugh will always be the Joker laugh uh, to me too. It was three seasons Holy cow, the first season was 65 episodes, the second season was 20, and the third was 24. Wow, I did not, I didn't realize, just three, you think of three seasons now in today's times is just 12 episodes. This was when the animated series came out. I remember it was the first time that there was like some really good, dark, emotional episodes that they wrote that was just some top-notch writing and acting Mm -hmm. that you would not expect from a cartoon, basically. And people say, how is acting voice acting? Because it is. You have, they have to get the feelings across through their voice. And lots of times they aren't reacting to any animation. They're recording this without mm-hmm. seeing anything, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I hate to bring it down the show like that. But I see over here that you have something you want to tell me about buying a lottery. T- Did you win the $1.2 billion? Please mm-hmm. say yes. Two point whatever. Because we we talked about this where if I oh. won, you were going to get a million or 20 million or something. Woo-hoo. The person in California won. No. Mm-hmm. So I tried three times, bought three tickets for $10. And I ran into somebody who says, you're only buying five chances. I said, yeah. He says, shoot. I'm buying $200 worth. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So he lost $200 is all I'm hearing. That's all I'm hearing. He helped yeah. <laughs> provide that person in California a little bit more money. So, uh, you know, if the fever was on. Everybody was going now. When I, do, you, do you buy these tickets? I don't. I, well, I, all, to be honest with you, man, all I look 
all I need to do is look up the odds. And once I see the odds, it's like, nope, I'm just saving my money. So there's a threshold. Donna has two thresholds in her life. One threshold is how much she's willing to pay for toilet paper. Okay. Okay. So so she knows when it's on sale, she will not pay more than 25 cent a roll. Okay. And and during the pandemic, I said, whoo, we're going to be using some bark, baby. Um, (laughs) And then for lottery, it has to be at least 900 million. So here's the thing is, don't you, you wouldn't you have better odds as bad as they are buying it when it's super low? Because when it gets 900 million, everybody's buying tickets at that point? No, because it's still based on the odds of the balls, not based on the number of tickets sold. You, you're, you stand oh, more. Oh, duh. Yeah. Spend, duh, you, Marty. You have a better chance of splitting it with someone. You're right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. You're right. No, I can see that. I see that. I mean, right. I know you can't win if you don't at least buy a ticket, even though you go from 0% to 0.0000000001%. It still doesn't matter how many you buy. You just have the number of chances all that time. So, yeah, you can buy a gazillion tickets, and you still have the same amount of opportunity for that one ticket. Here's a question for you. Do you pick your numbers or let them pick it for you? Both. There are there are they set numbers always. Okay. And then, of course, there's the quick pick because I want to sit there and agonize over what numbers I want to pick and find out I'm one off. That would suck. I go to the grocery store to get my lottery tickets of where I do not go to uh, like the convenience stores. And that Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Getting behind somebody in the convenience store when they walk up and said, I want to buy some t- lottery tickets and a pack of cigarettes. I go, my God, I just have a drink. I just want to buy this drink. No, not that one. Uh, give me one of the fives. What? No, not that five. Yeah, give me one of the tens, and then give me. Oh gosh, let me go look. I was like, oh please, give me two of those. All right, now I like a I like a soft pack of those cigarettes. No, not that one. Over, down, up. I'm just like, I just want this drink. Seventy-nine cent drink. <laughs> Twenty minutes later, yes, you're 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 behind the old scratchers, oh. which is fine. Nothing wrong with anybody wants to do the scratchers, but I. The, the where we're going with this story is that there are machines, of course, everywhere where you can do touch screen. You mm. scan your license, you put in the money, and then you touch screen to pick your tickets and quick pick and that kind of stuff. Got it. I'm an old person. So there's all these people waiting in line at the machine, probably in their 30s and 40s. Sure. But me and the old people are in line to use the cashier at the grocery store, and we got our little paper tickets. It's so sad. I'm just like, hey. I don't trust myself on that machine. I could screw it up in a heartbeat. And besides, I'd be holding up the line trying to figure out, whoa, what's numbers like this? Oh, yeah. And I'd be behind you going, I just got this drink that I want. Well, if you're and you're in the wrong line. So I'm an old person standing in line at this. I did not win. I cannot give you a million dollars. Sorry. Crap. So next time we get 900 million, that's, that's where it's going to be. I do appreciate uh, the convenience stores. I have this line lottery, this line no lottery. I do like those. Mm-hmm. So out of my three, five, or out of my 15 tickets, I got no Powerball, so I got no money back. Mr. Pinch-a-Penny, and you're spending money on lottery tickets. I do what I'm told, man. Donna said go buy lottery tickets. I went and bought lottery tickets. There you go. Well, with that, I'm going to keep rolling dice. And taking names. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. Next month is our big 10th anniversary episode, so you don't want to miss how to enter in order to win some cool prizes like we've done in the past. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dyson Names, and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we're doing some vlogs for our game nights.
keeping in faith to our previous episodes, dad jokes. Don't jeez me. Is at least is at least topical or in season? Of course it is. Okay. So Marty, where do you find a turkey with no legs? I don't know, Tony. Where do I find a turkey with no legs? Exactly where you left it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a good one. I like that one. Oh, that reminds me of those jokes we did as a kid. What do you, what do you, what do you call the boy with no arms, no legs, when you throw him in the in the lake? Bob. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>